Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Coming up on today's show, King Charles makes his first ever address as king. We'll have it for you. We'll also chat with Dr. David Johnson, a professor of political science, and find out what possible political implications there might be following the death of Queen Elizabeth. And Dr. Graham Broad will join us and talk about Canada's history as it relates to the monarchy. I speak to you today with feelings of profound sorrow. Throughout her life, Her Majesty the Queen, my beloved mother, was an inspiration, an example to me and to all my family. And we owe her the most heartfelt debt any family could owe to their mother for her love, affection, guidance, understanding and example. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. Alongside the personal grief that all my family are feeling, we also share with so many of you in the United Kingdom, in all the countries where the Queen was head of state, in the Commonwealth, and across the world, a deep sense of gratitude for the more than 70 years in which my mother, as Queen, served the people of so many nations. In 1947, on her 21st birthday, she pledged in a broadcast from Cape Town to the Commonwealth to devote her life, whether it be short or long, to the service of her peoples. That was more than a promise. It was a profound personal commitment which defined her whole life. She made sacrifices for duty. Her dedication and devotion as sovereign never wavered through times of change and progress, through times of joy and celebration, and through times of sadness and loss. In her life of service, we saw that abiding love of tradition, together with that fearless embrace of progress, which makes us great as nations. The affection, admiration and respect she inspired became the hallmark of her reign. And, as every member of my family can testify, she combined these qualities with warmth, humor, and an unerring ability always to see the best in people. I pay tribute to my mother's memory, and I honor her life of service. 
I know that her death brings great sadness to so many of you, and I share that sense of loss beyond measure with you all. When the Queen came to the throne, Britain and the world were still coping with the privations and aftermath of the Second World War, and still living by the conventions of earlier times. In the course of the last 70 years, we have seen our society become one of many cultures and many faiths. The institutions of the state have changed in turn. But through all changes and challenges, our nation and the wider family of realms, of whose talents, traditions, and achievements I am so inexpressibly proud, have prospered and flourished. Our values have remained, and must remain, constant. The role and the duties of monarchy also remain, as does the sovereign's particular relationship and responsibility towards the Church of England, the Church in which my own faith is so deeply rooted. In that faith and the values it inspires, I have been brought up to cherish a sense of duty to others and to hold in the greatest respect the precious traditions, freedoms and responsibilities of our unique history and our system of parliamentary government. As the Queen herself did with such unswerving devotion, I too now solemnly pledge myself throughout the remaining time God grants me to uphold the constitutional principles at the heart of our nation. And wherever you may live in the United Kingdom or in the realms and territories across the world, and whatever may be your background or beliefs, I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. My life will, of course, change as I take up my new responsibilities. It will no longer be possible for me to give so much of my time and energies to the charities and issues for which I care so deeply. But I know this important work will go on in the trusted hands of others. This is also a time of change for my family. I count on the loving help of my darling wife, Camilla. In recognition of her own loyal public service since our marriage 17 years ago, she becomes my Queen Consort. I know she will bring to the demands of her new role the steadfast devotion to duty on which I have come to rely so much. As my heir, William now assumes the Scottish titles which have meant so much to me. He succeeds me as Duke of Cornwall and takes on the responsibilities for the Duchy of Cornwall, which I have undertaken for more than five decades. Today, I am proud to create him Prince of Wales, Tewusog Cymru, 
the country whose title I've been so greatly privileged to bear during so much of my life and duty. With Catherine beside him, our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community, to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And to my darling Mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late Papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. King Charles III making his first public address as king. Um, and as expected, largely it was a tribute to his mother, late Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, I guess the news that I'm seeing some people tweeting out already is, Breaking the King has bestowed the title of Prince and Princess of Wales upon Prince William and Catherine. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So it's a transition, of course, to. So it's a transition from Queen Elizabeth to King Charles, and uh, it is well underway already. Um, King Charles back in London, 
greeting well-wishers at Buckingham Palace this morning, and he will address the world for the first time as king um, in about a half an hour from right now. But uh, there are deep ties to government that have been exercised for years and years and years and years when it comes to the monarchy. And in many ways, it's largely symbolic, but um, she did play a role uh, in British politics, primarily. Um, this is the brand new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Liz Truss, talking about her relationship, however brief it was, with Queen Elizabeth. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. And on Tuesday, um, Liz Truss was sworn in as the next Prime Minister of the UK, the 15th to be sworn in by the Queen, um, just two days before the Queen passed. So uh, interesting times indeed. Let's chat with David Johnson now. He is a professor of political science from Cape Breton University. Dr. Johnson, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be on with you. So the Queen, as we know, served as head of state for Canada as well, which is largely a ceremonial role. But in the UK, she wasn't, I mean, wasn't heavily involved. But I, I heard uh, Sir John Major talking yesterday, a former UK prime minister, about the weekly audience that he and now 14 other prime ministers enjoyed with the Queen. Once a week, they would sit down and visit with the Queen and saw her as an advisor and a, a confidant and a source of support. So, I mean, she was involved in politics in the UK. Absolutely. In a very special, unique manner, having these weekly audiences with the prime minister. And I've read about these, and there have been some writings. The queen has the queen never spoke about them at all. Everything was strictly confidential. But we have heard some of the prime ministers in their memoirs after they've left office, a decade or more after they were in office, we have some snippets of these these uh, meetings, weekly meetings. And what comes across as a queen who is completely up on current events, who is expressing, who is asking questions, getting the prime minister to explain what they're doing. And it's been said that if the queen agreed, uh, Mar uh, Margaret Thatcher, Tony Blair would say that if the queen agreed with their stances, there would, the queen would act actively say, yes, that's, I, I agree actively is support what's being said. They said disagree. <laughs> the Queen's disagreement with what was being said, the Queen would simply not say anything. She say anything. Sil silence would be disagreement. But again, the Queen, as a constitutional monarch, she couldn't. She wouldn't say no. Don't do that. The elected Prime Minister, the elected government, yep. has the right to to make policy. But it would be clear at times that the Queen, especially <laughs> with some of the stuff that Thatcher was doing, Margaret Thatcher was doing, the Queen did not agree. But that would simply be, Margaret Thatcher would simply have silence coming back at her. But, I mean, that's the, that's the skill, that's the art of being that monarch. You know it's a largely symbolic role, although you do have influence, but you don't want to get involved, you need to respect democracy. So, I mean, it's a very fine line they must walk. Absolutely, absolutely. It's soft power that the monarch has, the Queen and now King Charles 
the third. It's soft power. and But it can be effective that go back and read some of the material on the Commonwealth meetings in the 1980s dealing with apartheid in South Africa. And yeah, Brian Mulrooney has written about mm-hmm. this and convincing Margaret Thatcher to actually support sanctions against then apartheid racist South a- white white ruled South Africa. And Thatcher and the British government were opposed and that at these Commonwealth heads of government meetings, the Queen would host a dinner and she would be talking about the she, the Queen would be talking about the importance of human rights. Just general principles. But the Queen kept the people talking, and then the Queen just kept people talking and talking about these. And, and then finally, Margaret Thatcher and the British government came to realize that they were one, one against 53 other nations. And then Thatcher slowly developed a hex, slowly came to accommodate that sanctions against South Africa. And Brian Mulrooney very much credits that, that change of heart to the Queen's yes. soft, subtle influence. Absolutely, he does. Um, uh, in terms of her direct involvement in Canadian politics, arm's length at a minimum, right? Very, very, very little official involvement. That's right. That's right. That here in Canada, the Queen's representatives, the Governor General and the, at the federal level, provincial lieutenants, governor, they're the ones who exercise royal power. And there are times, and we know that in times of minority governments where it's unclear which, whether the prime minister commands the confidence of the House of Commons or whether a premier commands the confidence of a provincial legislature, it's in times that those that the vice-regal, the governor-general in Ottawa, the lieutenant governor in a province, can exercise real political power in deciding to, to grant a grant a motion of a prime minister think of stephen harper's request for prorogation in 2008 mikhail jean the then governor general had the right to say no to him mm-hmm. and she, they spent two hours talking about this and then she granted prorogation we've seen other cases in provincial uh governments most recently in british columbia with the john horgan's first election where christy clark sought to pro, pro sought that election christy clark is a hung parliament in bc christy clark asked for a new election right away and the then lieutenant governor said no so refused the advice of the sitting premier christy clark then resigned and the lieutenant governor called upon John Horgan to form a government. That was an exercise of lieutenant governor power, and it's perfectly constitutional. What, I mean, as, you know, for many of us, um, Queen Elizabeth was the only head of state we've known and the only okay. tie to the monarchy. What do we anticipate with Prince yeah. Charles? Will he Will he conduct himself much the way she has? I think so. I think so. Yeah, it, it's a momentous change and i'm that 90 percent of canadians alive today have only known one monarch until today and i'm I'm one of them and but so charles he carved out a role for him himself as prince of wales now he is the king he is the sovereign so he will be he was he was at times quite outspoken as prince of wales 
But he could be because he wasn't the sovereign. He was the, he was just the Prince of Wales. Now he's the king. So I think he will become, as he said, he will follow his mother's footsteps. Yeah. He will become much less uh, uh, contra- controversial in what he says and does. He'll be much more symbolic. But now I think, look to see, so I think the king will follow the footsteps of his mother. But I think look to see perhaps a more slightly more activist role of Prince of Wales eventually uh, with William, Prince Prince William. Right. So he will inherit, William will inherit the, eventually will inherit the position of Prince of Wales, and he will inherit a lot of his father's charitable work. It'll be fascinating to watch. Dr. Johnson, I hope we can chat again as this goes along, and uh, we'll talk more about how things are unfolding. Thank you, sir. Turning our attention to how this impacts Canada and how Queen Elizabeth impacted Canada, if she did, um, it's really quite remarkable when you think about it. Uh, and the Prime Minister said it yesterday, just how ever-present she has been in the life of Canadians. It is with the deepest of sorrow that we learn today of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. She was our Queen for almost half of Canada's existence. And she had an obvious, deep, and abiding love and affection for Canadians. That struck me. She was our head of state for roughly half of this country's existence. 70 years she was on the throne. It's quite remarkable. How much of a role did she play? We're going to chat with Dr. Graham Broad, an associate professor and chair in the Department of History at King's University College. Dr. Broad, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, when the Prime Minister mentioned it yesterday, I was like, wow, yeah, that that's true. She was head of state for almost half of this country's existence. She's been part of this history, well, for longer than anyone else, really. Yeah, and and moreover, it's important to remember that uh, for most Canadians, or for most people in in the Commonwealth generally, she's the only monarch they can ever yeah. remember. You'd have to be in your eighties to to remember her predecessors. So, uh, you know, it's been a, a remarkable reign, not just for its longevity, but for the extraordinary period over which she reigned. And in terms of her involvement and um, you know number of visits, she was here many times. She called Canada her second home, but. You know, politically speaking and um, her involvement with, you know, this country, it was more ceremonial and symbolic. She sort of struck those lines by and large, right? Yeah, I mean, I think she had 22 visits uh, as queen and one previous as as princess, and and that's more than anywhere anywhere else that she paid official visits to. Uh, She seemed to actually quite like it here, and and on the whole, when she was here, she was very well received. I think in the 60s there there was some protests in Quebec or something, but more aimed at the monarchy than at her. Uh, You know, even, um, um, even some people who... Uh, maybe take a dim view of the monarchy. There seems to be respect for Elizabeth yeah. as an individual of great dignity. But no, you're right. Her her power is 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 entirely uh, uh, symbolic. Um, but um, therein lies the importance, right? That you the idea is you have a head of state who's above politics, um, and the hope is to kind of avoid the sort of calamity that the slow motion calamity we're seeing unfold in some other other democracies. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Now, during her reign over the course of the seven years, um, her role, or at least our relationship with the monarchy, changed uh, primarily in 1982 with with the Constitution, which really sort of separated us um, legitimately from all sort any sort of legislative acts that the British Parliament may carry out would no longer apply in Canada. 
she didn't buck against that. She she welcomed it publicly. Yeah, I mean that. What happened in '82 was they they patriated the constitution, so we didn't have to ask the British to amend it uh, every time we needed to amend it. And uh, yeah, she she discharged her duties as Queen of Canada, right? And that's you know another case of where she was able to sort of rise, perhaps above her personal sentiment or above uh, local local politics, and instead just discharged her constitutional duty. Um, and so you know the the ironic thing is is that in in theory, even if let, let's say the British Parliament passed an act saying we're going to abolish the monarchy. The monarch would, would have to give a sense to it. And Charles, in his speech, it was interesting. He indicated that he's probably going to be a rather traditional king in that sense, too. Uh, you know, he even talked about giving up some of his political activism and charities in that speech mm-hmm. uh, in order to maintain this position of neutrality that uh, kings, are, kings and queens are supposed to have. We heard um, some people talking about Brian Mulroney in the comments he made yesterday and sort of how he said primarily she was sort of the glue that held the Commonwealth together during the uh, arguments and discussions around apartheid, and she exerted mm-hmm. some soft power around that. Did she ever exert any kind of influence or power on any Canadian issues? Did she ever get actively involved that we know of? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, because she doesn't live here, her executive powers on a day-to-day basis is executed by the governor generals. Uh, so I don't think she ever had that kind of soft power issue in, in Canada. Uh, but, you know, still for, for many Canadians remained a, a focus of loyalty. But of course, you know, the, the, especially as time goes on and the country changes demographically and so forth, um, the monarchy going forward, Charles will have to have a lot to answer for about the the monarchy's colonial past, right? Yeah. That's something that's going to dog his 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 reign as as well. It should. Uh, it's something they're going to have to live up to. Yeah, no question. We're already hearing a lot of that, a lot of discussion. Uh, in terms of what we see, you know, when we see a transition from one head of state to another, it's hard to put into perspective because it's been 70 years. Um, mm-hmm. d- does anything change with the relationship in Canada with Charles, do you think, or is it sort of what we've always seen? No, I don't think so. You know, in, in the UK, they have a very elaborate set of uh, customs that they're going to uh, execute at this time. You already, I, it was, you already mentioned that he, today he met, he made... Uh, William, uh, uh, Prince of Wales, who is indeed his successor. Um, so there's a whole elaborate system of things there. Uh, here, in, here in the other Commonwealth realms and places like Canada, that's largely up to the, to the Prime Minister's office how, how we're going to do things. There'll be a, uh, probably a national period of mourning. Uh, Parliament will probably convene to recognize that Charles is our king, uh, just formally. He, he already is our king constitutionally, but they'll recognize formally that he is. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of his earliest state visits was was to Canada, because we remain, um, after Britain, the largest Commonwealth realm. Exactly, yeah. and it, 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 as the Queen said, it was her second home, so would stand to reason. Um, Dr. Broad, thanks so, so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining yeah, us. My, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That is Dr. Graham Broad, who is an Associate Professor and Chair in the Department of History at King's University College. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.